Boom. Fuck we it. We're doing it live. Oh, crap. Yeah, we usually start with that. I dropped the <laughs> ball. was that loud? <laughs> WNBC. Um, we're doing a new thing here. Chris and I have been talking about doing this social experiment for a while where we go through my 800 plus Facebook friends, most of whom I have no fucking clue who they are. <laughs> yep. Don't see anything from them on my feed because of the algorithms and everything, you know? So we thought it'd be interesting to try and beat the algorithm by reaching out to people and interviewing, getting to know better, all 800 plus people as we go along. You guys, I see your stuff. I love your stuff. You're some of my most fascinating, interesting, cool people that I want to get to know better. So that's another part of the show is getting to know people better and introducing to the world people that I know that when I say the world, I mean like the six people who watch this shit. <laughs> but someday, if we build a big enough audience to the world. There you go. So we've got from Madison, Wisconsin, Doug Johnson and Brett Saladino. I take it, right? Hello. It's not Saladino. Nope, that's right. And so we're calling this fast friends. We got 60 minutes to <laughs> become buddies. So, All right. well, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> and then I heard my first Montevani album. Nice. Those are some Steve right. Martin quotes. All right. I have to make an admission before we get started. Normally, I don't put a picture of myself on Facebook because I just think there's way more interesting shit to put up for a profile picture than my ugly mug. So you guys might not have known what I looked like or whatever, but Doug, I'm pretty sure, and I'm ashamed to say this, but I feel in the spirit of authenticity and transparency, I should come clean. I'm pretty sure I saw you sitting at General Mitchell Airport one day, getting ready to fly somewhere. And when I fly and travel, I'm so antisocial. I just, I did not get up and go say, hey, I think I know you or anything. I just sat there like pretty positive that's him. And now seeing you again in the flesh, 100% sure you were sitting at General Mitchell Airport. I did not go say hi. <laughs> so apparently now we can have that conversation you did yeah. have at the airport. I don't know what that says about me, but. <laughs> it says you know, you're I, human, man. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. When I travel, I just, I'm like, man, I just want to get through this. Maybe yep. it's like yep. putting on weight and shit. Traveling just sucks to me nowadays. When I was younger, I might have come over. But plus, you know, just for spite, I know you might be the same way. You don't want to be bothered and shit. Very I'm in Larry sales. David. I talk to everybody, though. I mean, because yeah, right? you never know. They might know somebody who needs what I sell. Or they might know somebody who knows somebody that needs what I sell. Well, what do you, do you exactly? sell? You want to pitch um, it? Is it a, a plug it? Sure. Is it something? So, you know what a CNC machine is? Yeah. So, yes. Um, when you machine something, like, like, let's say you want to machine this or an engine block. Let's say this is an engine block, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. they're pretty complex. So when you when the, you push on it, you got to make sure it's, whole, it's held very firmly when you're machining it. So we sell very fancy clamps to hold, you know, brake calipers, gun parts. Um, we're doing some stuff for SpaceX. We're doing some stuff for Tesla. So when you're machining things, you want to make sure they're held very rigidly and Stable, repeatedly. yeah. So when you're making thousands of parts for cars, everyone comes mm -hmm. out the same. So right. basically, I sell very fancy clamps. Okay. So, That's awesome. <laughs> now, Brett, you have a super interesting job, right? I've seen you post pictures from under the microscope. It depends if, if you're interested in that, I guess. Um, I am a veterinary pathologist, uh, and I work out of an office in my basement. So um, I get microscope slides shipped to me, and I have a $17,000 microscope. And I enter all my data in the computer. Um, I love it. I discovered the microscope when I was in vet school in my first histology class. And uh, I always feel like it's, um, it's like, it's like Alice in Wonderland through the looking mm -hmm. glass every time yeah. I look in the microscope. Because there's always a chance I'm going to see something on the other end of it that no one else has ever seen before. Mm -hmm. And so every day is fun. Yeah, and it's just been transported into this world. Yeah, it's the photography out there, you know, you see the contests and things where they'll take photos of bugs' eyes or whatever, you know, all those sorts of things. It's, I love that stuff. It's yep. beautiful. It's very but, cool. Yeah, and she's down to like a cellular level where you get some super trippy-looking shit. Nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like jealous. I want to do it, but like I think I said something <laughs> to you years ago about that. You're like, well, if you want to go to school for 12 years. And, uh, <laughs> yes. Exactly. And, you know. Toyota Camry money on a microscope and shit. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's at least 11 years of training. So um, what are you looking for exactly? You're just 
studying disease? Are you biopsying? What, what is? I actually work in the drug development field. Uh, so we're doing safety testing on new drugs and compounds. And um, I've actually done a couple studies now with COVID vaccine candidates. Mm. Um, so it's, it's all testing for safety before things go into humans. You guys want to say anything about COVID and say anything to the non-mask wearers or anything else? Can we swear? <laughs> Oh, of course, please. Okay, please. Fuck, wear a fucking mask. Fuck COVID. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Fuck COVID. There you go. Yeah, in the yeah. last in the last week, I think yeah. I have about twelve friends that have come down with it um, with symptoms, and uh, another five or six who've lost parents. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rampaging I mean, right it's now. Bad. It's yeah, really mid- bad. By the middle of January, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, so, that's just my opinion. Like it's nothing. <laughs> Still, yeah, acting like it's nothing. It's crazy to me. So well, it's only killed two hundred sixty thousand. I mean, <laughs> you know. It's what do you think of the vaccine? The, the the promises of vaccines coming. Uh, <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I actually have worked with people at Pfizer and Moderna. I I really have a lot of respect for them, and I think they're on the right track. Um, but I tend to be rather cautious about mm-hmm. new drugs and new vaccines because I've seen too many of them that hit the market and go bad after yeah, that. Especially with this warps operation warp speed. Right. And- mm-hmm. Right. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Um I think that I've seen some plans that they want to vaccinate healthcare workers first, um, elderly people yeah. in group homes second, elderly people with comorbidities third, prisoners fourth. And by the time they get to the rest of us, I Honestly, it's going to be late next year. Mm-hmm. But we'll have some really good data on how it affected those other people and is it right. a functional vaccine or not. I can't I'm wait to hear the outrage from the populace when prisoners are getting it before their kids and grandparents. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm happy to have it given to as many people as possible before me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> when I was in the Air Force, I only did four years, but I mean, I went in gung-ho and everything, but it just went bad quickly and I eventually became like clinger and mash just trying to find ways out and shit right and one of my plans was to just refuse to take the anthrax vaccine they were wow. trying to make us take a fucking anthrax vaccine i'm like no way dude no clue what's in this shit i'm not gonna be the experimentation for this like what have you tested it on before us i got that one what's that i'm alive i got that one i'm alive anthrax one? All right, yeah. Cool. yeah yeah she was 10 years in the army all right. Well, and I'm definitely not an anti-vaxxer. Don't get me wrong. But I, again, I was trying to get out. So that was, you know, <laughs> plan C or D. Luckily, I got out on a personality disorder, um, which is fitting. You know, the good, valid. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, the, all the best people do. <laughs> yeah, it's a fine way to do it. Yes. <laughs> Myself and Sinbad, the comic. Um, <laughs> we just had a stroke. By the way, which sucks. Oh no! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. Shit. Free will. Let's just jump the fuck into free will. Duh. Wow. All right. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Right into my wheelhouse. We only got sixty minutes. We're well, fucking around. Small here. talk. <laughs> um. It doesn't exist. There you go. I was. We covered that one pretty quickly. Right, yeah. Make the case <laughs> to our mother, who's probably the only person who would watch this. Okay. So here's my journey with free will. So back when I was. 13, 14, I read the Bible because my parents, we went to, used to go to St. John Vianney's every Sunday morning at 7.30 in Brookfield. And then we'd go to Elliot's Diner, you know, the big silver diner that was in Brookfield. And I'd always have a cheeseburger with bacon on it and a chocolate malt, which is why I went to church. And then Goddamn, it sounds good. I read the Bible and I went, I'd have no free will presented with that meal. <laughs> I have no free will when it comes to cheeseburgers. <laughs> so I read the Bible literally front to back and I went, uh yeah and then i remember having the conversation with my parents we were watching saturday Night live and uh i went to bed i said well i'm not going to get up and go to church tomorrow morning because i don't believe in god and wow <laughs> yeah Uh-oh. that went well really well <laughs> you just believe in your dungeons and dragons and all <laughs> and oh yeah it was just i worship like, the altar of gary gygax Fuck yeah, you, mom. Like, yeah i'm going to bed what, what the, was, around what what year was this around i was 13 or 14 which was around what? Because I'm just wondering if it was during uh, the like uh, satanic. Um, yeah, what you call it? You know, the the uh, the ladies with the 60, scare. Late, late sort 70s. of in like seventy, late seventy. Okay. Yeah, okay. seventy. Well, yeah, that was still, but yeah. 
Because I was so she thought you were into Satan. Because oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, you know the whole Kipper Gore line. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so along saying. with reading the Bible, I started to think about um, you know, the whole concept of free will: is do do we have a choice? Do we have a decision? Because if you read the Bible and um, God knows everything you're going to do. You know, he knows what you're going to do when you're 85 and you're on your deathbed. He already knows what you're going to do. Well, mm-hmm. if he knows every decision you're going to make, I'm not really making decisions. Right. I'm just hitting the next plot point in the big book that he's mm-hmm. up there going, oh, yeah, here it comes. This is this is the time he steps off the curb and breaks his ankle. <laughs> and Oh, yeah, there he goes. So I'm like, okay. So I, that was when I first started to think about there is no free will. It was after reading the Bible. That's what really kind of... Mm-hmm. got me down that path and then it was five or six years ago um you know I, I i when i could travel for work um i used to listen to a lot of audiobooks a lot of um podcasts college lectures uh, so of course i listened to a lot of them on free will and philosophy a lot of comparative religion um you know buddhism judaism catholicism just all the different religions mm-hmm. and um i was in michigan and i was driving down the road and I was thinking about the whole free will thing. That's and proof there's no free will, because who the fuck would choose to go to Michigan? <laughs> right. Well, I get a lot of customers there, so I have to. Um, and I have some good beer there, too. But So I'm driving down the road, and I literally had this moment um, where I – it's going to sound all wooey, but I felt like I was going to disincorporate into my individual atoms. Nice. It was. It was this moment of – I don't know, ultimate panic or something. Sumati. Sumati, yeah. It was this moment of pure existential crisis. And I felt, I literally felt I was doing this. Like the whole world just kind of went. As you're driving. Yeah. And then it went (laughs) back together and I went, well, I was something. Then I called her. (laughs) I said, okay, I got to tell you this thing that just happened to me. So I almost came apart. You might be under your microscope. Mm -hmm. But then... um, I read a book called Behave, um, which I recommend to everybody. It it goes through how the body works from a cellular level all the way up to the macro level. So when when things happen in your body, what happens within a second of that? What happens within five minutes? What happens within a month? And even from a uh, biological level, we we don't have free will. Um, Here's an example. You know what alien limb sy- syndrome is? Yes. Um, so, you know, get your corpus callosum cut because you have um, epilepsy. And then there's a woman, <laughs> one of the best cases I heard was, there's a woman who, who had this done. And it really, you know, helped alleviate her symptoms. But every time she'd try to light up a cigarette, her right hand would smack the this, this cigarette out of her hand. Every time she swore, her right hand would slap her. So, where's the self there? And I think free will and the self kind of tie into the same thing, you know? um, So if you look at, um, they've done studies that when you make decisions that the brain reacts before the conscious thoughts of doing the Mm -hmm. thing. So, you know, if there's, if there's no self, how are you making decisions? And if, if all these biological systems just happen or chugging along, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm truly a causal determinist. I yeah, and determinism uh, because that's that's another part of the whole free will argument. Mm, is right. if the, you take the entire universe down to every atom, every quantum particle as it is today, and you know reset it, would everything play out exactly the same again or not? You know, including the way we think, the way like because whenever you're presented with any kind of stimulus or, or decision to make, you're probably your brain's going to just automatically arrive at the same thing every time. You know. In the deterministic view, yeah, yeah, so we're, I agree with you. Actually, output, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're a sum of everything that's happened to us up to this moment, <clears throat> and I, I, I personally, I derive a great deal of peace from that, mm-hmm. uh, a great deal of comfort and ease in the world. So when I make decisions, um, it's rare I get stressed out when I have to when there's something that comes up that I have to like <clears throat> you know make a decision about. It's just like I relax into it and I just go and I don't. I don't worry about that. And I, I know a lot of people, like, I know she doesn't, she's not real hip on the whole not free will thing. Cause like most people, Good, I want to hear from you in a minute. Yeah. we have an ego. Yeah. And our ego demands. I make choice. Yep. 
it demands all these things from us. I'm like, it's also like, how do you hold anyone accountable for anything? Right. right. Like if, you right. know, a, a killer or a molester or whatever, you know, if they, uh, if they had no control over their actions or thoughts, then, you know, what, it's, it's kind of wrong to punish people for something they can't control. Right. And I so, think yeah, that's a whole Pandora's <laughs> box there. Too. Well, but it's not so much about accountability sometimes. Well, first off, the people who are doing the punishing, aren't choosing to punish either because they don't have the free will right it's all, like, it's right. All yeah. you can't be mad at them either exactly puppets on strings essentially now right. you had your existential religious crisis where you did away with god being the puppet master so did you come to a place of more turmoil or peace after that because you said you came to the lack of free will idea thinking about it through god but once you dispensed with god did you have to re-engage with the idea of there being no free will in a different way? Or is it just like it doesn't? No, it, it was just like a peace falling into place. Because I, I I thought about free will off and on. Yeah, I was a big science fiction reader. You know, I was reading a book every two to three days back in junior high. And uh, it was just like as soon as I read the Bible and I realized what, if God's omniscient, that there are no choices. Which is funny because everybody's like, well, no, God gave us free will. I'm like. And not to read the Bible, but that's yeah. Me. I was wondering that. I always had heard that that the idea is like with Bruce Almighty, which we'll get to. Um, the idea, right, is that God says you can the second hour it, that, that God has this plan and He makes everything happen the way He wants, and He's omnipotent and all that. Yet humans have free will. That, but I'm not a scholar on the Bible at all, so that's how right. I always thought it was interpreted. But um, so you say in the Bible, it, it doesn't say anything of that kind of that nature that you, you know, people have free will. It's Oh, boy, it's been so long since I've read okay. it. I, I read snip. I I do read. Yeah, I mean, it's so huge for, and conflicting and everything. For an so evangelical atheist, I read a lot more Bible than most people. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's ironically usually the case. I know a lot of atheists yeah. who know the Bible way better than the people yeah. who. Well, you kind of yeah need to vet yourself and you know uh, be able to sort of defend the position and deconstruct it. Right? Yeah, but yeah. It was it was just a piece falling in, going. Uh, okay, yeah. It just. You know, and like a, you know, it took me thirty years, thirty-five years to go from starting to really question free will to really becoming comfortable with it. I mean, it wasn't like something I did; it was something that I, I investigated and read about and investigated, right. and investigated, and it was something that I worked towards. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, then it was all in that 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 crystalline moment, that moment of samadhi, where it's just all kind of, like, and then it came back together. It was like. Oh, good. No, I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's just, All right. it just fell into place. It was crazy. Brett, let's hear from you on free will. Do you guys, by the way, have like bickering little arguments about free will over the dinner no. table and shit? That would be amazing. She doesn't have a choice. No, we don't. Exactly. Um, <laughs> that's perfect. And we have no free will. Pass the beans. Yes. I mean, I, I feel, you know, I, I appreciate Doug for who he is and I appreciate where he is and I appreciate that, you know, in this life, uh, this is what he needs to believe, and it's okay, and I don't believe exactly the same thing. Um, I was raised largely, um, well, uh, by a Lutheran Buddhist, if you can believe that. Um, she claimed to be Buddhist, but she wasn't. She believed very much in a loving and vengeful God, which was really kind of confounding. Um, we didn't go to church. Um, I grew up believing that the most spiritual place I could possibly be was out in the woods. Yes. And I, I think that I am largely a pagan um, with some Buddhist underlyings. Um, but I haven't been able to get rid of my ego. Um, I mean, I grew up poor. I worked very hard to get where I am in this world. And I also believe very strongly that I was quite lucky to get where I am in this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, which maybe is determinism and maybe I had no control, but I like to think that I had some control in winding up where I am. And my feeling is if, if there truly is no free will, I would not get out of bed every day because there's nothing better than laying in bed. <laughs> so but you kind of have to to feed yourself I, and all I, those things you know, yeah obviously. yeah and you know maybe that's all part of it but it just I I don't feel good thinking that i have no say in what i'm doing yeah i think we can unsettling live, we, to me 
we can operate under the illusion we have free will, even if we don't, I think, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I think that's kind of yeah, how we all really do operate. every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. You kind of have to. Yeah. And, and uh, same with the, you know, accountability and the justice system and all that. You kind of have to social operate as a society as if there yeah. really is one, because otherwise what do you do? Yeah. And like Doug, Doug says all the time that he is absolutely okay with the fact that he could be wrong. And I'm absolutely mm-hmm. okay with the fact that I could be wrong. That's Which so is huge. crucial because that's the biggest problem a lot of people have. They cannot be wrong. They, uh, you know, we know that as far as the kind of debates we're having in this our society. Yep. I mean, yep. going all the way back to I mean, the Russell, stuff you, um, right? It was essentially paraphrasing the greatest problem in society is that intelligent people are so full of doubt and stupid people are so full of certitude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And if more people could say, "I don't know." about yeah. so many things how much better and, and there, fucking place there were the periods and even today there are places where just saying the things we're saying right now will get you executed you know yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah. But so all the way back to giordano bruno you know the yes. scientists executed in the square you know it's mm. like jesus christ but after 11 years in college and now almost 20 years doing what i do for a living um i'm still wrong on a weekly basis and I'm constantly, asking, uh-huh. I mean professionally, I don't mean at home. <laughs> I'm never wrong there. But, um, you know, I have no problem asking other people, what do you think? And mm-hmm. what does your experience show you? Because I want to learn. I want to keep learning. I want to keep getting better. So I try and keep my mind open. And I, and that spills into my day-to-day life too. The, the one I have the most trouble with is that Doug is also a solipist. Um, and solipism is the belief that you are the center of the universe and everything yeah, Descartes. is a figment yeah. of your thoughts. Yes. And and so he says sometimes that after he dies, I will cease to exist. And, and <laughs> Which I, is true. I have a really hard time. For me, for my POV. Right. And you're, yeah. <laughs> so, quickest out of solipsism. So, <laughs> I've read a lot about Buddhism, um, you know, the, the self and the ego and, and things with that. Yeah. And when people think about solipsism, they think about, well, it's such a narcissistic point of view and, you know, you're the only one that matters. And I said, here's my take on, on solipsism. If, if everything exists in my world, that means I am responsible for the care, happiness, and feeding of everything on this world that exists. Mm-hmm. I am an, I, you're I need a benevolent God. Right. No, I, I have God. to, right. I have, that means if someone's <laughs> sick, I have to tend to them. You know, it's not, I'm the only one who matters. It's like, holy crap, everything matters. And I'm, I have to take care of it. But with to great be power clear, great responsibility. To but be he has clear, no though, do you... with which to do that. So. <laughs> yeah, right, no shit. <laughs> also, um, I think it's be, ironic. Be, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, to be clear, are you saying you use this as sort of a tool to look at the world? Or do you actually, like, fa- believe for, a, like, not fact, because no one knows. But, I mean, are you, do you you know, strongly feel that you really, that this, everything else is just fantasy and that you've, it's all in your head. I mean, cause that, like to be a true solipsist, that would mean that's the case that you really believe you're it. And you're like, a, you know, the brain in the vat, you know, and everything else is imagined. I mean, that's what Descartes whole thing was. You can't really get past, you know, I think therefore I am beyond that. Everything else is sus- suspect. Yeah. And, and you can't all prove or disprove either one of them. Right. You can't. You, so you, in philosophy, you just have to jump, make that leap. You just can't get past it otherwise. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of use it as, as a basis for how I try to, I guess I use solipsism as my basis for compassion to view the rest of the world through. Yeah. I mean, in my past, um, I used to be, you know, pro death penalty and rah-rah America and everybody should own a gun and, you know, don't you dare spit or piss on the flag because then you're not American. You should die. I mean, I I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh for like 10 years straight and Mark Belling. great. I'd love I mean, to I dive was, into how this transition. I was all that. I was way down that path. I mean, conspiracy theories left and right. I mean, the whole, I was in. Um, and most of that started to change. Um Meeting up to my from Rio. <laughs> yeah, like reality was had nothing to do with the way I right, thought. Right. Um, but after my suicide attempt is when I really started to 
changed. I realized that when I woke up, this is when I had the opportunity to be who I wanted to be, to kind of start over and really, you know, figure out how I fit in the world and how the world worked. And, and that's what I did is after, after that attempt, when I woke up, my plan B was be who I wanted to be. Um, and that's when I really started to look at um, the world from more, a much, I, I hate to say, a much more humane viewpoint, um, where, where every single human life has the exact same value. Yeah. You know, I used to, I used to believe, oh, yeah, if you did a bad thing, you were a bad person, and I'm better than you because I didn't do that thing. And now I'm like, it's, they yeah. had no free will. They couldn't. Well, they, it's how many people have the religion that their parents had? Right. Their course, grandparents exactly. had. How many yeah. people have the politics of their parents or their grandparents? Yeah. It's all yeah, programming. Right. A mean, so, uh, inherited thought virus. Yeah. Yeah. So, how many people really believe what they believe as a completely independent individual, independent being? And I'd say most don't because they follow in the footsteps of their yeah. parents and the, Absolutely. and the snowball that started with their grandparents and their great grandparents. And, yeah. and it was just a couple of days ago I was talking to Doug and about what he used to be and how he used to be and it was before i knew him um but he said he didn't realize how unhappy those beliefs were making him mm -hmm. oh i was it's a cycle i think for sure <laughs> yeah yeah people get caught in just a misery cycle where and, yeah, to they feel this anger. internal misery so then they externalize it and out and, onto the world you know hurt people hurt people yeah because i was just always angry at the world and angry at angry at people because they couldn't pull themselves up by their bootstraps and how dare they be poor what kind of you know and yeah now that i've yeah now it's like but, yeah, but when you wake up after a suicide attempt it's kind of a clean slate yeah it's a you reset know? yeah you have an opportunity right then to say not a method i recommend things There's are better ways be to different. do that reset yeah when <laughs> jay and i jay and i just had LSD. that conversation uh that, to mean? sorry yes uh, we just had that same conversation that if you, you know, attempt to kill yourself or you come close to, to you know, it, it, if you don't, then you can say, well, had I, I wouldn't be here. So the rest is just like new lease on life sort of, you know, you can, you can just, it kind of, it's liberating, you know, gives you. Yeah, a it's, it's like freedom. a free pass. Yeah. I was hoping two things. First, I just wanted to throw this joke in that I think it's ironic that your mother thought you were a Satan satanist because of dungeons and dragons but solipsism is kind of what satanism is like, isn't it? like actual right. satanism that i am you god i am yes exactly yeah but she's um, dead now so it's okay <laughs> secondly i'm glad you well, should be very over. happy i was i was a democrat now Although oh, I'm, a so I'm really a socialist pacifist yeah but yeah. yeah chris and i now instead of the left right thing or democrat we try and just call ourselves, if anything, rational humanists is what we strive yes. to be. There you go. There you, you go. Know? I wish I, I almost want to try and push that as a thing. Rational humanism. If we can all just be that, everything takes we care need, of itself. We need a really good third-party candidate who runs on rational humanism. humanism. What does the most good for the most people? Yeah. I wish Andrew Yang would do that. That's to me what his policies yep. sound like. That's yeah, I, I, I gave him too. some money. The, I was listening nice. to NPR the other day. Some people were saying that. Uh, Biden needs to get him in the cabinet. Yeah, I, I was yeah. praying for that too. That Early on during the debates and the campaign and everything, Biden, Andrew Yang said that Biden said if he wins, there will be a place for him in his cabinet, but we'll see. We'll yeah. See. I mean, well, I'm just waiting for Trump to lose. You know, he hasn't lost yet. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hasn't conceded at the least, but yeah. He'll never concede. No, never, right. never, no. never. It's not no. about winning or losing. It's about. No getting his followers to believe he lost that's right. all this is and to make money yeah the whole sorry i digressed <laughs> well let's jump back to the suicide thing for a minute because i was hoping you would broach the subject i didn't know if you wanted to discuss that or not but i know you're pretty open with it yeah i was very aware of it, it. Yep. um do you got one of the semicolon tattoos or something i think right or no maybe yep Somebody right there knows. right and if and, people um, they don't know that's you know you want to explain what that tattoo is so and I have a, I have a story to go with that because I'm in sales. I always have a story. Um, but so yeah, what the the semicolon tat project was started by a woman actually from Wisconsin up north, um, and it was because she had struggled and she had dealt with depression and suicide and she had um, some pretty significant mental health issues over the years. 
So what, what the semicolon is, is that your life has a pause, not a period. Mm-hmm. So my attempt was a, a break in a sentence. And then now, now my, my life is continuing. Uh, and that's kind of where the, the semicolon project started and, and the thinking and the meaning behind it. Um, and I've, I've met quite a few people who have the, the tattoo. But Amy Bluell uh, from Wisconsin, she died five years ago now. Um, and she finally lost um, the struggle against suicide. Uh, she did kill herself. Um, so since it was in Wisconsin, I thought I'd go. And um, I was terrified. Funeral? Yeah. The funeral. And I was terrified. You know, I'm like, well, do I dress, do I wear a kilt like I normally do? Or I'm like, so I'm like, nope, I, I wear my suit, you know, full suit, tie, a whole thing dressed up. Um, and I figured and it was going to be. He'd never met her or any no, of her family. Never she interacted with her at all. a lot of meaning to him. Yeah. Kendrick, and project. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. so I get to the funeral and, you know, I kind of walk in and it was weird meet, you know, meeting her for the first time. And she's laid out in a casket and. Mm-hmm. You know, I know her family is there, and I, I thought it was going to be packed. I thought there was going to be like thousands of people there because like there are millions and millions of people worldwide who have a semicolon tattoo. So I figured it was going to be like this huge. No, um, so I'm sitting down in the back of the room, and um, at some point, um, came ever before I talked to her mom or after. But uh, so I was sitting in the back and um, well, I, I went up front and I, you know, you, you walk past, you do the visitation. I knew her family was up front and I wanted to talk to her mom. Um, so I knelt down on the floor in front of her mom on the couch right up by the casket. And I said, um, you know, I said, I didn't know Amy. I said, and I, I showed her my tattoo and I said, do you know how many lives Amy has touched? How many, how many lives she has changed, how many lives she has saved worldwide. And I don't think her family knew. I think that, you know, they knew about the project, but I don't think they had the, the reach of it. Or, yeah. Yeah. I don't think they knew yeah. the scope. So, um, mm-hmm. so I talked to her and I talked to her widow and I talked to her brother for a little bit. And then Amy's mom asked me to talk. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, so I ran up wow, to the car because I'm panicking now, mm-hmm. you know. And I called Brett. I said, Brett, Amy's mom wants me to say something. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Brett was like, it doesn't matter what I say. There's no free will. <laughs> <laughs> Just go so, wing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm like, well, I can't not. You know, at this point, I, I, I can't sure. not say something. Yeah. I'm like, well, I wasn't prepared for any of this at all, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I went up and – uh I, I talked about, you know, the, the project and the number of people I've met because I have the tattoo and the conversations that it has started and the the openness that it, it has brought to the world about the topic of suicide and mental illness and that how much Amy has literally changed the world. I mean, the world is an entirely different place because Amy started this, this mission of hers, you know. Yeah. Um, and then so after I talked, when I sat down... And then Amy's mom sent everybody back to talk to me. So all of Amy's family, one at a time, came back and talked to me. Interesting. And I did. You hijacker. You became the star of someone else's No. no. You always <laughs> no. got to be the star of the show. Huh? Ego. <laughs> you know, I, I completely understand you, you saying that, but it wasn't. Good joke. I go for the joke. Oh, no, I get it. Because <laughs> um, I was thinking about that while it was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Imposter syndrome a little bit, maybe. Yeah, they came back and they they thanked me for showing up, for sharing my story, for for helping them understand the right the difference Amy had made to the world because mm-hmm. none of them really knew the the reach and the fact that there weren't thousands of people there stunned me. I, I was really surprised there weren't more people like me who knew Amy only through the tattoo. But yeah, and then I left this the the yes. funeral and I was I I was a different person. I. I have not been the same since leaving that. I was uh, the the level of openness and love and charity and awesomeness that I left that with. Uh, yeah, I, I. It was more solipsistic. 
it was more solipistic, really, because he was just taking care of Amy's family. Is if you were in your kilt and fez while you did all this. Well, you know, I thought about it, but I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. If, if I knew there were going to be a whole bunch of other semicolon project people there, I would have. But I wasn't it, sure. Explain the fez and the kilt thing to me. Is that just something idiosyncratic, fun to you? Or is there any kind of significance or meaning behind those um, things? Well, I started wearing uh, kilts when I started, when Brett and I first met. Easy access. Yes. Well, I, only, I only have four up here with me, though, not the other ones downstairs. Um, no, I, I just, it was all a part of what I said when I, when I woke up. I was all about reinventing myself. Mm-hmm. And then someone I knew from high school was going to have a kilts and corsets party. Sounds and, fun. I mean, corsets. it was very good. <laughs> I call that one a win. He had to buy a kilt. So I had, already had corsets. So I had to buy a kilt. And then uh, <laughs> I think I'd probably be wearing a corset nowadays, unfortunately. But. <laughs> yeah. And then I just, Damn, you know, I never, I never looked back. I, um, I have 17 kilts now. <laughs> Um, they're just fun. I mean, they're absolutely conversation starters. Um, We're going to see you on Dr. Drew someday, celebrity rehab for your kilt <laughs> addiction. And where do you wear these? Like in what situations? Just generally. Um, just every, like when I went to the grocery store on Friday, I wore a fez, you know. Okay. I love it. Don't it's panic, Friday. fez. It's beautiful. Yeah. Nice. You know, it's just. Love it. It's Ice all about. Just, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's amazing the conversations that I have had, or we have had with people, because. I'm in a kilt or I'm in a fez. I used to do that. Chris, you remember when I was wearing like yeah, the, the elephant, elephant tie, tie yes. just props. I'd go out wearing some crazy wig mm-hmm. or something and just same. Yeah. We both. Would do yeah. It was a great way into just having a, a non-confrontational conversation with a random stranger. There's yep. this icebreaker yes. there, you know, mm-hmm. before COVID, we also used to wear free hugs t-shirts sometimes when we'd go out into the world and, and uh, we'd get some good hugs out of it. That was always fun. So you guys are super spreaders, is what you're saying? Yeah, well. We're we trying. We would have been, yes. <laughs> See, I don't know about that. My physical boundary, I don't know if I want hugs from people. That shit feels weird to me. But I love hugs. We probably need them. We all need more hugs for yeah. sure. But 20 seconds. They say one of the, one of the um, it, when you smoke cannabis, one of the effects that, that the uh, chemicals that's released in your system is the same as getting a hug. Exactly. It's a good surrogate yeah. for hugs. Well, it was funny when we'd wear the t-shirts out in public, um, people would come up and hug Doug. And then sometimes they would look at me and they would like, then they'd look at Doug and go, may I? And yeah, then they'd hug me. Interesting. And I was like, I what don't the hell? <laughs> I'm not property. <laughs> I'm wearing it's the like shirt they, in my They think they're court. being respectful. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's yeah. insulting at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a we were at a um worst fest in Madison uh, a couple of years ago. Well, four or five years ago. And there's there this big guy, had a beer in his hand. He's like, Oh, can I get a hug? I'm like, sure. And I started giving him a hug. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. And I handed my beer. I said, Wait, hold my beer. So I went in. I mean, I I gave him everything <laughs> I I gave him everything I had. I gave I just hugged him. Full contact, like the big twenty-five. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was going for the full twenty-second hug. Like I, this is my brother I haven't seen in like thirty-five years. I love him to death. I just, and like two and a half seconds in, he's like patting me on the back, like, dude, like, and then trying to back up, like, he didn't realize what he signed on for. Hey, you're asking me for a hug. I'm going all in. I'm giving you everything I have. He's like, dude, I asked you on a date, not getting married. What the fuck? We got way off track on the suicide talk, though. Were you? Did you have other questions? Well, I'm endlessly curious. First off, anytime I hear someone died, no matter how it happened, whether it's suicide, self-inflicted or not, I, the morbid curiosity is always like, how. How, which is gross, I know, but I just can't well, help it. So I'll, I'll be frank about that. I'm curious how you did it, but also, so what led you to that point? Um, well, what led me to that point was well, I'd I'd been married to the mother of my children for like 19 and a half years. All right, say no more. Um, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I love her to death. I love her. I talked to her yesterday on the phone because she you just got married. You can't say it. She just. Got, my it's ex just got married, and I'm really, really happy, and it made me cry. I was so happy for her. I, I mean, awesome. we've had Thanksgivings together. I mean, I, I love yeah. that woman, but we got married too young. Um, I was still very much in my, my Asperger's brain, 
where I, I, I couldn't socially interact with people to save my life. I couldn't, I couldn't tell if somebody was bored or <laughs> I, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know where emotions were. <laughs> so that was before you got into sales then. Yeah. Yeah. Way before. Um, but, uh, so you know, we had been married and we had been unhappy for the last 10 years of our marriage easy. Um, and then she told me it was over and I took it a little hard. Um, I didn't know how to deal with that because I had, I had tied so much of my identity into the marriage, into being her husband um, and being the, the parent to my children that I, I didn't, I couldn't see a way to exist outside of that, that identity. Now the you that That's was married the to her, kicks. that was like the conservative. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, flag. that was the asshole. That was the guy nobody wanted to be friends with. <laughs> um, and that was part of it too. I had. I had like two friends and I saw one of them every like quarter, you know, I was very, very isolated, very much withdrawn and introverted and, and depressed and, you know, very unhappy. I mean, my, my, she and the kids would go to bed. I'd sit on the couch and watch TV and cry for an hour and a half every night. I mean, it was just, that was my existence. So it was Mm -hmm. was pretty unbearable. Um, so yeah, the marriage ended and then, um, but you were still living in the house. Yeah, I was still living in the house for oh, the first month or so. We, for the first month or so, we slept in the same bed yet. Oh, man. Uh, so I moved down to the couch and then into the basement. Um, yeah, you got to cleave like a Band-Aid, just rip that shit off. Yeah, but couldn't, think, couldn't afford right? it. Yeah, that is Couldn't afford right. to cleave. I had no place to go. So that's why I lived in my own basement for a year and a half. <laughs> Did she start ended. dating and shit? And you had to deal with that whole thing? Some... Yeah, she was dating. Oh, Yeah, that's, she left me for hard. another guy, which is fine. I mean, here... Here's, but okay. when you're in the state you were in, yeah. I'm right. Sure. When I was when in that in state, state you know. I, I couldn't see that. I mean, I remember um no, just in case I won't tell that story. No, don't. Um but I'll tell you off. I'll tell you off. No one's like, listening, don't worry. We don't have any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the one time it happens. Um but what I realized looking back, and I'll finish that story later, a little segue. Um, if I loved her, and I do. And she was just trying to figure out how to be happy. Mm-hmm. How can I be mad at her? How can I fault her for trying to figure out how to be happy when neither of us were? Right. And that was yeah. the viewpoint that really helped me move past all the anger and the. Did you come to this through therapy or something, or just sitting there stewing? Uh, no, thoughts? lying in. So, <laughs> see this closet we're in? I used to, the room I lived in, in the basement in Waukesha was this. It's about twice the space. About, yeah. It was eight by 12. A year and a half, I lived in an eight by 12 room with a mattress on the floor and the oil tank in a corner for the furnace. And that's where I, I worked. I listened to Eckhart Tolle, um, listened to a couple other books um, that really helped me put this in place. But yeah, so um, about a week after it happened, I had made a plan. I bought a brand new bottle of 100 extra strength Tylenol, bought a one liter bottle of Maker's Mark. Um, Kelly was going away for the evening. Um, the kids and I watched uh, Despicable Me. Put the kids to bed, went down to my office, which was in the basement, um, put my iPod on shuffle, and took 98 extra tank tunnel, drank just about a full liter of Maker's Mark, and took all my antidepressants. And me being me, plan A was I don't wake up. And I'm like, well, okay, what happens if I do? You know, I gotta have, yeah. what, what, because if right. I do, then now I'm the guy who tried, you know, what? But I'm like, okay, if I do, then I'm, I'm never looking back. I'm going forward, full steam ahead. I'm going to figure out who I am, what I want to do. Now, the smart thing to do is just have done that. Without just the, do that. Yeah. yeah, but it's hard. Like people, yeah. people need some kind of emblematic moment or some kind of yeah, we need permission. catastrophe to, yeah. theory. You need a catastrophe mm-hmm, to switch mm-hmm. from not boiling to boiling. It's, you know, mm-hmm. we need permission to make that break and nothing in our society gives us permission to do right. that. But a yeah. suicide attempt yeah. is like the societal permission to make a break in a dramatic change. Right. So yeah, like instead of people just flying their freak flags, we almost <laughs> corner them into attempting suicide to get to fly their freak flag with permission. Right. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, then I woke up and then um, I went, all right, went upstairs and then Kelly came home about 11 o'clock the next morning. I 
Did you go to a hospital or anything? Um, well, I kind of fell down the stairs very quickly. I, I didn't fall, but I, I like ran up the stairs. And then I laid down on the couch and she said, you okay? I said, no, I'm not good at all. And then I went to the kitchen and told her, I said, okay, here's what happened. She's like, oh, oh, okay. So she called the hospital. I said, well, if, he's, if he seems okay now. <laughs> and then she waited a little bit. And then she called him again. They're like, no, get his ass in here. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what is 98? extra shakes Tylenol due to your liver etc uh, yeah. did they pump your stomach or is that no because it was too late because I had I had taken everything by 10 o'clock at night 11 o'clock at night and it was 11 o'clock the next morning um but he essentially went into liver failure over the next few days mm-hmm. and several times the doctor said well pretty soon we're, we're gonna not be able to understand you because the ammonium is going to build up in your brain and then when you start speaking gibberish we'll know that your liver is shutting down and then you're going to die you have like an at least okay. an 18 constitution because you definitely ace well, saving no, throw. I have you made Osborne your saving throw. <laughs> <laughs> I made my saving throw like a bazillion yes. times. I rolled a whole bunch of 20s. Rolled a 20, oh yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and then um, I spent uh, four days in the hospital and then they moved me to the psych ward and I met with the... Um, That's where I met Brett? Just <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I met with the, the shrink and I told him my story. He's like, hey, you can go home tomorrow. You know, he didn't make me stay the mandatory three days. Hmm. And I, I literally, I haven't looked back once. I haven't. Um, yeah. I, like I when just, you stepped out of that facility, was it just like, oh, and birds and everything is bright. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And lifted. From the moment I woke up on my, my basement floor, that's that's the mindset I've been in. It was all all forward. So all even when forward. you're in the hospital with the liver damage and everything, you had to well, like, They give you this stuff that tastes like think of the taste of a bunch of rotten eggs like a couple of dozen rotten eggs and a whole bunch of burning match heads the sulfur ones right Mm. and you distill that into like a shot glass it's it's a liquid sulfur that negates the ammonia in your system it helps tie it up so they'd bring it to me and they'd break to me this big glass right that it'd be like this much in a big glass of orange juice so then i have to drink a bunch of it and i said stop just bring me this stuff she yeah, said, really? I said, straight. Yeah. So I was just taking it straight because I'm like, I'm going home. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was, they're like, you sure? I mean, yeah, I'm going home. So if yeah. It's like 98 time. Oh, I can take a shot of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, it's, um, that, and that's why I share my story because, you know. And then how long after that did we meet? Uh, that was December. I got, I, my attempt was December 11th. Uh, so. Met- August the next year. We met August in 2011. No. Do you guys have, as they say in the movie business, a meet cute? Like, how, how did you guys meet? Was it some little moment? He was wearing a fez in a grocery store and you just had to talk to <laughs> him? <laughs> we actually met on the internet. Um, we met on Facebook. Yeah, on Facebook. Nice. A mutual friend. Um, it's a really convoluted story that we don't have time for, but she was dating a guy I knew and her sister used to go to high school with Doug. So we'd sort of met on Facebook and um, I was seeing his comments to her posts. And, Which were clever and witty. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's really funny. He's really funny. <laughs> I, I, I like his humor. And then she basically said, you guys need to meet. And I said, okay. And I called him up and I said, Stasia says, we need to meet. Let's meet. And he said, Amen. and I said, tonight. And he's like, I have to go deliver a pool up north of Milwaukee, but I could meet you after that. So we met at a restaurant. At Did like, you wear a kilt and a fez? Oh, no, this was pre-kilt. This, this is pre-kilt oh, and fez. Oh, okay. This was pre-kilt. So, um, so we met at this restaurant we at like dressed. I don't know Delfield Brew House seven thirty or o'clock. eight. We met, and then um, they threw us out at closing time. At they were like, "You guys have to leave." They're all standing there looking at us like, "Um, no." We were we the were hard out buzzer went. We were just having so much fun talking, and I was quoting Firefly. She quoted she quoted Firefly to me. Almost feel and if there had been a camera looking at me, my eyes would have done that sparkle thing it does in movies. And then his they heart would have come right out of his chest like this. Yes. Ooh, Roger Rabbit shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so at the end of the night, I he gave me an amazing kiss. I was blown away. It was an amazing Which, kiss. Aww. Me giving a kiss like that was so. So one of the rules I made for myself was I have to live outside my comfort zone. Yes. Right. Because 
nothing fun happens in here. It just it doesn't. Well, rarely does. So she went to give me a hug, and I didn't kiss her. And then as I pulled back from the hug, then I just That's went in. Shit too, you know, like yeah. fuck and it, it was, I'm going in. I got it. Yeah, exactly. It was perfect. And then we had our second date a couple nights later. I took him out for an amazing steak dinner. Brett, let me ask you real quick. uh Since you seem so much a woman of action and you were the protagonist who put all this into play by saying we need to go out, if he had not kissed you, would you have made the first move? No. See, that's something that's interesting. Not that night. I would not have. (laughs) Right. Um, There is a pressure. But I would have. I don't think enough women appreciate that it is such an act of courage. To make that move, and now with the whole Me Too thing, right. where you can't just terrifying. go in like that's what we were talking like grab her, kiss her, you know, so that's how you show her, right? Now for the sake of equality, yeah. for the sake of equality, women need to be the aggressors. Now that's what I think. I would have met up with them a second time, and I would have been the aggressor the second yeah. time, but not the first time. She was. <laughs> <laughs> And then I think our third date was the kilts and corsets party. And the mm. person who was having the party was the person who had introduced us to each other. And she didn't know we had started dating. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you, have you seen the video of me doing the lady marmalade no. drag, drag thing? In uh, drag. That was at that birthday party. Cause that was so far outside my comfort zone. A friend of ours who used to be a DJ in Milwaukee, um, she said, "Hey, we should do this lip sync to Lady Marmalade." I'm like, "What? <laughs> like, <laughs> comfort yeah. zone? Comfort zone? You, you, you have to wear all tights and a, and a tutu and a tutu, and I'm like in a wig, and I'm like, oh shit." She said, "Why?" I said, "Well, I have to. Why? Because it's outside my comfort zone." <laughs> right. I have a crowd. So, What's following? Yeah, we still talk about the power of the stripy tights. That is a uh, first off. I failed to say up top at the beginning of this this episode like all episodes in the foreseeable future are brought to you by the movie we made cactus jack there will be a trailer that runs at the end of this but i might run your lady marmalade dance with it at the end. i will i will find it and share it for you yes perfect we'll put that at the end of this. so far outside my comfort zone dude i mean that's something i struggle with so hard chris i know you do too comfort zone shit like making it a point to not go out of my comfort zone it's so dangerous to a degree but at the same time it's like there's no free will i just i'm not even choosing to not go do these things <laughs> right like, exactly going out on and really like i said going out on a limb what does it all mean living life to the fullest we're all gonna die anyway there's some fatalist thing in me and nihilism maybe even or nihilism however you pronounce it I'm yeah, such cares, dude. Even my my own life should be a big deal, but I'm like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. It was an active thing to go outside my comfort zone, whatever possible. Yeah. I was, I did karaoke, which was terrible. I did uh, Big Girls by Fergie. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah. I had two notes in the entire song. <laughs> That's great. But it was, you know, my I friends. Mean, do you like, feel though it's been so much more rewarding, and that is the path to take. Like, would you oh yeah, emphasize that to people. Yes. Yeah, I mean the people we've met. Yeah. Um. Yeah, every, it's rare for, for Brett and I to go someplace, whether it's a brewery or dinner or whatever, where we don't leave and we've talked to some people. And odds are added Facebook friends for whatever that's worth. But it's, it just happens all the time because we, we, we try to do that now. We try to engage because it's all about making the world smaller. The more people know each other, the less... Plus, bad the world is. Yeah. So the harder it is, understandings yeah. and you know, dis- you know, yeah, uh, conflicting views and such. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. And you know, some of the folks we've met up with, we we don't agree with on big issues, mm-hmm. but they're good people. Right. And, yeah. Just because you uh, disagree on a certain economic system, for example, you know, <laughs> capitalism right. versus communism or socialism or what have you. It's like, is that a reason for us to like kill each other? Of course not. It's ridiculous. Right. Right. And and it's been fun to develop friendships with these folks that I know I don't have a whole lot in mm-hmm. common with. Like there's one person in particular who periodically sends me photographs of turtles that her son has found on the highway. And she and I have very little in common from a societal standpoint you know she's very republican and and she lives in a small town on a farm and yet she reaches out to me as someone who knows and loves turtles and so we have this amazing connection over something that we would have never found if we hadn't 
met on Facebook, met at a beer fest, you know, and chatted. And really, that's that's what the world is, is we're all we all have connection points. You just have to find them. Mm-hmm. And you got to make it a point to try and find common ground with people as opposed to always focusing on the things we disagree on it's absolutely so destructive and rampant really i mean it's like it's this mass addiction and you know of course media and i haven't seen that documentary the social dilemma yet but i get the gist yeah that we're somewhat engineered towards divisiveness (laughs) obviously divide and conquer the powers that be you know we are Um, so easy manipulated (laughs) yeah i mean we are i mean good lord well, and we're tribal, and, and we define ourselves in terms of our enemy. Mm-hmm. And that's got to stop. Yep. yep. How do you guys think we get there? Just do you think these little interactions, like maybe we all have a responsibility to strike up conversations like you guys are doing? That... I think there's more than that, but, I mean, that's the first step. But I'm I'm not sure what yeah, the second it, step is. It starts, honey, because it's nothing I think can come from the top down. I think it's something that's got to come from small groups, you know, 15 people, 20 people getting together, just understanding that, yeah, why your politics are different than mine. I don't agree. We both, we have kids where we struggle with, you know, putting food on the table. You know, we have all the same, most of our struggles between any two people are 70% the same, if not more. And once we get that nice common, you know, Everybody shits. You know, everybody wears pants. I mean, you know, everybody does these things. So if we get down to a nice common thing we can all agree on and then start to build on that and go, okay, we don't talk about that because that we're really different on. But the majority of everything people do in their lives, we, we all agree on. I mean, I think a lot of it is ego, too, because everyone's mm-hmm. trying to protect their own sense of self. Yes. And if you get to a point where you can say, I love you and I respect you. You know, in even though we don't agree on this, I love you. I respect you. I'm willing to listen to you. I understand where you're coming from. That deflates the ego. It deflates yeah. the defensiveness. Nobody has to fight back when they know you love them anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and, know, we talk about cops should be taught to defuse situations. It's kind of yes. like... Most people are bad cops when it comes to just dealing <laughs> yes, with each other. You know, they absolutely. Yeah, let's go in and disarm each other and you know, cool everybody down. But absolutely, yeah. the The ego is the root of all evil. Yeah, it is. I've said that for years too, because like yep. the old adage, "Avarice is the root of all evil." But what's the root of avarice? Ego. Every, everything comes down to ego. And that's that's as Charlie. As Charlie Manson said, "Ego is a too much thing." Yeah. <laughs> Amazing song, by the way. Say what you want about Charles Manson, motherfucker. He was pretty talented. And he never killed anybody. I know, that's true. It's very crazy. <laughs> At least First not time I heard that, I was famous like, murders. Wait a minute, what? And they all did not have the free will to say no to him. Yeah, so what the hell is anyone doing behind bars? <laughs> right, exactly. I'm trying to come up with a good conversation on, on how how to have justice in a non-retributive system well you can still say that even if they didn't have free will it's almost because if the argument is they don't have free will and they go murder then you need to lock them up because they don't have the free will to resist murdering people you know what i'm saying so it's not a a punitive thing it's a it's social uh, contract to what will society accept and tolerate versus this person needs to be punished you know a car is bad breaks you take it to the shop you get them fixed yeah Car didn't choose to have bad brakes. It just does. Right. So you, right. you, you and fix some it. you might have to take off the road forever, even if yep. they're just not right. able to be repaired. You know, at definitely those gross. At least for a period of time, while you work through what's wrong, and yeah, mm-hmm. I think, I think there's a awful lot of people in prison who could be rehabilitated yeah. if we had mm-hmm. the appropriate systems in this country. We yep. absolutely don't because mm-hmm. it's based on retribution and punishment it's not it's not based on let's help people be better people yeah and it can be argued that because it's so punitive including the death penalty etc that it actually may create more criminals because it creates a society in which life is less valued and exactly uh, it is more harsh and draconian and yeah absolutely absolutely yeah i used to be so pro death penalty now i'm so against it Mm -hmm. it's just same you know people like for it and and 
primarily against it now. Yeah. It's like, well, why do we have to pay for these people to be imprisoned? Well, it's society's fault. <laughs> so society yeah, should degree. have yeah. to pay the cost of, right. of housing them. And, and us all dividing the burden of the cost isn't even that significant anyway, out of any particular person's pocket. So people just right. need to stop whining about stuff like that. Yep. Um, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Superman actually, three fractions of pennies. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> actually, the the death penalty is pretty freaking yeah. expensive too because of it's all the, the principle. Yeah, for people yep. who say that, it's the principle. You know, they're like, I don't want to be paying for this criminal to live and breathe when they've, you know. Yeah.